This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you know you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, unlike the Owls, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So there's only one thing left to say. What's everybody having? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means you'll get some tasty rewards later on. And between you and me, if you order just before kickoff, you can get it just in time for half time. But I've not told you that. Only via the app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery free and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. See you later. Wednesday Week is sponsored by the Riverside Cafe, the perfect place for a pre-match pint. Welcome to the Wednesday week, the Sheffield Wednesday podcast. I'm James. Um, this is just really kind of a one-off special podcast. Uh, and there's just two of us on tonight. There's me and there's Vic. Hello, you're right. Hi. So it's just the two of us because uh, we were both at the steering group meeting earlier on this week. It's taken us a couple of days to get around to um, to recording this. And um, now it was the first time that you've been to the steering group meeting, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was. It was quite an experience. Um, I, I almost yeah, want to say it it's was... four, four and a half hours of my life that I won't get back. But half of that, half of the hour of that, was good. So I don't mind too much. Yeah, um, it was a long one. There were more people there than there normally is. It's obviously. I mean, I'm guessing it's the first time that you've kind of had the chance to hear the chairman speaking, kind of you know, live in person. What What were your sort of impressions of him? Do you know what I was thinking on the night? I think that's genuinely the first time I've ever heard him speak because I don't think after watching him and like listening to him, I don't think I've ever watched an interview with him before. I know he kept repeating the fact that he doesn't do interviews very often, but I don't think I've watched anything. So it was it was interesting just to see him and to see him like there in the flesh. And he's, he's a lot younger than I thought he was. He looks a lot younger in the flesh as well. Um, but just his passion was so obvious, wasn't it? All the way through. He's so passionate. I think he's passionate. He's just a passionate man in general. He was very sort of my way or the highway. Um, but that seems to have done as good so far. So you can't really complain. Yeah, I think the, the first time that I went, the thing that really grabbed me was um, uh, just how determined he is 
how passionate he is. I mean, he talked about how in love with Sheffield Wednesday he is on um, on Wednesday night. He talked about how it's in his blood now, um, and um, you know, he he also mentioned this kind of this this figure of money that he's put into the club already, which is 150 million pounds, which kind of blew yeah, me away that a little was a bit. A lot more than no I thought. One... Yeah. <laughs> You kind of think about the transfer fees and the, the, the little bits and bobs that he's done, but you kind of you add it all together and you think, yeah, God, it really does add up very, very quickly well, in two also, years. You have to think about the stuff that he's pumped in in order to be able to make those transfers. So that £150 million has gone into the club. Um, and yes, we might not have seen, I would say, £50 million of it, but that's because it's had to go in there for financial fair play as well, isn't it? So... Whilst a lot of people, I heard a few people grunting afterwards saying, oh, it can't, it can't be 150, I've tried to add it up. Actually, it probably is. It's probably quite a bit more. He's just not counted it up as properly as he might do if he's with his accountant. Um, just to cover off the financial fair play thing, because he mentioned that you know this season we're all right. If we don't get promoted, then you know there might be things that he needs to look at and, you know, we might be kind of sailing quite close to the wind. So um, that's something that I guess we kind of just put to the back of our minds for now. Let's go on the assumption that we'll be in the Premier League in 12 months' time and we don't need to worry about it. That seems like the logical thing to do in the um, <laughs> in the situation. Um, now, the, the first thing that was talked about and um, it'll be the first thing that we talk about now, even though I think probably everyone listening to this will already know all this and will already have kind of covered all this. Uh, but there was quite a bit um, at the beginning about the new kit and what's gone wrong and kind of that that process. Now, there'll have been a lot that's been written on social media about this, so probably not telling you anything that you don't already know, but just to run through that, that uh, this is the, the first time that the club have kind of produced their own kit. So, uh, way back in, um, I think it was, I think he said last October is what was when they first started talking to suppliers. Yeah. Uh, they, they found a supplier that agreed prices. They went through samples. Everything was going well. When it comes around to May of this year. So just what, three, three months ago, just over three months ago, uh, the supplier doubled the prices. Uh, so the club either had the choice of take that financial hit or do something different. So the club decided to go back out and find a different partner. Um, and they, they did that. They've, they've managed to get the shirts done. Um, I did jot down some kind of, you know, kind of key quotes from, from Joe Palmer, the chief operating officer, whereby, you know, he acknowledged the club are happy with it. Uh, but he said the reality is they're just pleased to have got a shirt out in time for the new season. I think on, on the note of um, Joe Palmer, James, did you agree with me? I think he came across so well and so humble during that bit. I think it would have been quite easy to blame everybody else. And it probably wasn't directly his fault. Um, I imagine he had a lot to do with the decisions and everything else, but he really, really took that on the chin. He was just like, hands up, like literally held his hands up and he said, look, I, I take full responsibility for this. And he he mentioned one of Fudge's arguments that we may well lose some sales on that. Um, and my question was going to be um, just to the room rather than to everyone on the top table was how many people will now go out and buy a Sheffield United shirt in those two weeks because ours wasn't available. And I guarantee it's none. So I don't think, I don't think we've lost anything really apart from two weeks and we're acting like two weeks is the end of the world. Um, it, they said it'd probably be middle of August, didn't they? By the time mid to end of August, by the time it comes out for sale. But I don't, I don't think that's ridiculous. I, I think we're overreacting over a couple of pieces of cloth, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's 
I think we'd all kind of say it's not ideal. You know, I, mm. I don't really tend to buy shirts, so it doesn't particularly affect me. Uh, but I appreciate those people that do want it as, as early as possible. And I think, you know, the club in an ideal world will have it out earlier than they have done. Uh, well, definitely would. Um, but I think the, the thing about it is it's the first time whereby they've done it by themselves. And that's great in terms of the fact that it means that the profit goes into the club. Mm-hmm. There isn't a, a third-party kit manufacturer, you know, Adidas, who are siphoning off half the money just for the privilege of having their badge on your shirt. So um, it, it's good in that sense. And, you know, Joe Palmer said several times that we've learned a lot of lessons from it. You know, we will not be sat here in 12 months talking about how late the shirt ha- has come out because, you know, they will know how to do this now for future seasons mm-hmm. and whether they go with the same partner or not um you know the shirt will be out in plenty of time next summer so you know what let's just all kind of take this one on the chin a little bit if you are someone that buys the shirt every year then you know just appreciate the fact that the club are doing something that financially really benefits them so you know for for this summer you've just got to kind of take that um take that hit yeah exactly and i think one of the questions that was asked was about the quality as well. Uh, I don't know if you've got that in your notes, but someone asked, like, what is the quality like? And Joe Palmer said it's as good as last year's, if not better. And that, you know, yeah. great. You know, it could have quite easily been one of these that you buy from certain Sheffield-based websites that sell kits for football clubs that are a bit tatty or they're a bit thin. And we've had some awful kits over the years. I mean, like, if you remember the Plusnet ones, they were really thin, they were dreadful. Um, and I think if we've got something that's decent, it's the quality last year was great. You know, they were nice. They were thin. They were they had that warming stuff in if it's cold, cooling stuff if it's warm and all that jazz. And I think if it if it's quality enough and it washes OK and everything else, we can't really complain. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, there was then I mean, there was quite a long discussion that came off the back of um Joe Palmer's kind of statement about the um, the the shirt situation, which went off topic quite a bit, um, including there was there was there was one particular gentleman who uh, I believe had travelled from um, Lancashire, although I'm I'm not hundred percent sure on that. He did mention it a few times, um, who um, who kind of took it off on on several tangents. Uh, but <laughs> I think I, I, the more I think, I think about were... that guy, though, do you not? You know, the guy was from Lancashire. He mentioned it, like we said, quite a few times. I think by the fifth time, I couldn't stop laughing. It had been like, it was getting ridiculous. But the fact he was trying to give Mr. Chansiri, the Thai billionaire businessman, advice over his, was it a wedding marquee company or something? He was like, now, Mr. Chansiri, if you'd have gone to my suppliers, it's like, oh, man, like, this guy's a billionaire for a reason. Like, leave him alone. It was a bit cringeworthy, wasn't it? It really was. Um, although I think, I mean, there was a fair question asked, which was about why has the club not made any kind of statement about the kit situation? Because I think for every single person in that in that room, um, it was the first time that we'd learned what was actually happening. You know, there were no kind of like rumours going around, leaks of information. It was genuinely, no one really knew what was what was going on with it. Um, and what was kind of said from that, which I felt, thought was quite interesting, actually, which yeah. was that um, the, the chairman didn't want to put out a statement because he says, you get more trouble from doing that. More people coming back, um, arguing, asking questions, giving you stick, that it's just not worth it. And I thought, I, I mean, I don't know what that kind of says about us as as fans or, or us as a fan base as a whole, Um but the club kind of feel it's better to say nothing than to say something and, and, and get kind of all the, the comeback from that. Yeah, I think the the PR bird in me cringed a little bit 
thinking of the PR team there and like Trevor Braithwaite, who does a great job. And I was thinking about him and thinking, oh, if that was me, I'd be like, I'd be chomping at the bit. I'd be desperate to get something out just to say. Um, But I think they know full well, as much as there are a few things that night that he said, I don't want this to leave this room and whatever else. They know it will. So they know that fans are going to talk. They know that the people they got there were, you know, we're there as press partners. Dom Housen's there. You know, the guys from Owls Talk are there. The guys from the Cop End, um, New York Owls. There were, there were loads of groups there who are going to, sp- like, spread the news. And you'd be very, I'd be very surprised if somebody doesn't hear that outside of that room. You know, it's, it, the message was there loud and clear. It was, this is what's happened. This is the problem. It didn't need to go on the website in the end. It could, it will get out there to people. If people don't read the internet, they'll buy the star. If they don't buy the star, they'll chat to a bloke in the Asda. If they don't go to the Asda, they'll go to the pub. You know, it's going to get out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the kind of the, the the kit situation took up probably what the first hour or so of the um, easily of the meeting, <laughs> including the, the kind of the footnotes from it. I guess were that um, this this new partner um, is also going to be supplying lots of, of of new stuff that's going in the shop. Uh, there are uh, various other deals that are being sorted at the moment for uh, other kind of new stuff that's going to go in the uh, in the shop as well. So we're talking about kind of you know big kind of range of of, of stuff. I know it's not the first time that we've sort of heard this, uh, but it did sound like they were pretty confident within the next couple of months that you know the 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 so-called megastore will actually be a megastore again, um, and there will be a lot more stuff in there. I think you only have to look at Joe There's Palmer's this- history as well and the stuff that he's done, and he you know he's got a very very good CV. He's he's made it work at numerous other clubs, so. He'll make it work here. He does just need time. And it's like Mr. Chansiri kept saying to everybody, you know, you think it's easy and you think we just go online and order loads of stuff. But actually, they've got to really drill down into what's going to sell, what's sold before. You know, do we want loads of Danny Wilson Toby jugs in there again? No, we don't. So therefore, they have to go out and look and find out what else they can get. But is it going to be things like yo-yos that we can buy in at 90p and sell on for £3? No, because we probably won't sell many. You know, they've got to balance things out. And it's not just a case of opening a catalogue and picking things. They've really got to look at it. And it's a, it's a really strategic operation to do that. And I think... You know, for a lot of us, I've got the experience in working, like obviously in selling things and obviously working for the club and selling things in the club shop. But I think for a lot of people on the outside, it is you do think, well, Man United have these lanyards. Why don't we have lanyards? Well, maybe we've not sold any before. So what's the point? You know, it, it, it's going to take a team of people. It's not just going to be Mr. Chansiri and Joe Palmer sat in a room selling, saying, oh, what would you buy? It's It's a big, like, it's a big project to run. Yeah, absolutely. And there was kind of an acknowledgement as well about the fact that um, they do want the stuff that they get in to be of a reasonable quality because they acknowledge the fact that, you know, the the prices in the shop are more than what you'd pay for a similar item without the Sheffield Wednesday badge on. So they do want to make sure it's decent quality. And I guess that means quite a lot of shopping around to get the uh, the right stuff. And I thought it was quite interesting as well that they kind of touched on this idea of the fact that they've got a few kind of local suppliers. I think there's some yeah. prints and some kind of canvases in the shop now that have been made by someone uh, locally, just a fan that, that they're selling. Um, and kind of you know splitting the uh, the the profit, which I thought was a nice touch when you think about you know there's a lot of talk about how the kit's been manufactured in China, uh, but kind of bringing it closer to home, the fact that 
you know, there is stuff that's been made by someone, you know, you kind of think of someone pretty much in their front room, don't you? Kind of like making yeah. these prints, the club are willing to sell them as well. Well, my, I know um, someone bought my mum one of the, um, the like decoupage things that they make that are like these paper sort of pictures that are all raised and whatever. And I, someone bought her one and I wouldn't buy it in a million years, but it was, it is a nice little gift. And you can tell, you can tell by looking at it that someone has sat there, like you said, in the front room, probably someone who, you know, works full time, has a family, wants a bit of extra income or someone who's just a genuine fan or someone who just likes to do a bit of crafty stuff. And you can tell that it's handmade. And I think that's a nice mixture. If we had everything handmade, everyone would complain that it was crap and it was it was expensive because obviously we've got to pay the people that make it. And I thought it was quite amusing how somebody asked why we weren't making the kits in Sheffield, um, which is just, you know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to happen at that sort of price. Um, I just think people don't have an idea sometimes about the cost of producing mass things like that and how much cheaper it is to go to, I think they said China and Pakistan, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although if you're after uh, wedding tents, apparently Germany is the second cheapest place. It is. There you go. It is. Um <laughs> Um, so um, a few of the things that were kind of touched upon and, and talked about um, and this idea of having a cafe within the shop is still progressing. That's not an idea that's dead in the water. That will happen. Uh, I think Mr. Chancery kind of made reference to his sort of bemusement at the planning regulations within uh, the UK and how long things take. I and loved I think it. His, he went, if um, I want to change a door, I have to fill in a form. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, welcome it's, to England. Pilot, no one's changed the door. I just changed the door. <laughs> it was brilliant um other, other things so we've got these six new kiosks around the ground that um will be open in time for the for the first league game of the season so they're going to be kiosks that selling things like you know tickets uh kits other merchandise and they'll also be places whereby you can top up your uh, either membership or season ticket card or i assume that they'll have some kind of other just kind of cash card available for people that aren't a member or don't have a season ticket mm -hmm. because we will be from the first game of the season we will be a cash-free stadium you will not be able to buy drinks food snacks or anything using cash you will have to top up your card at one of these kiosks beforehand and um, we knew that this was coming, although I must say I had a, a, a conversation with one of my friends a couple of weeks ago whereby I said, well, there's no way in which they'll be able to do it in time for the season because they need to be telling people now because people will find it really confusing. But it is happening. Yeah, it is. I mean, I know when, so it was 2009 that I was there. Um, and at the time we signed a deal with a club co a company called Team Card. Um, and that was very much of the same idea that you would be able to top up your card, you'd be able to, you know, pay cash, well, pay cashless, not in contactless like we do now, but pay cashless. And it, it never happened because the technology, believe it or not, like that many years ago, what, oh God, how many years ago is it? Seven years ago was, no, eight years, eight years ago. <laughs> There we go. Eight years Simple ago, was so much further behind. It was. I know, like at work where I am now, we've got like we've got numerous canteens like all over like the offices, um, and you can buy you can buy a cash card. Well, you get a cash card. It's a points card if you just want to use it as a points card, or you can top it up and just pay contactless. So it is doable. It's just how long will that take, and will the company be right? And I think um, Joe Palmer also mentioned about you get points for everything that you spend in the ground as well. So if you buy a pie at half time, in theory, you should get some points that you can spend in the shop, which is great. You know, it's a, it's a nice little incentive. 
Yeah, and it is, it's just the way that things are going. And I think when you think about um, the, I can't remember if it was the last one or the one before the, the, the steering group where they acknowledge the fact that, you know, there are large sums of cash that just vanish every season. Uh, and over the course of a season, significant amount of, of cash that they lose out on because of, uh, because of this. So, you know, I think that's quite interesting. These kiosks will be the place where you buy your ticket. So I'm guessing that means that you won't be able to pay, uh, by cash at the turnstile anymore, that it will be ticket only through the turnstile and that you'll have to go to the kiosk and, and, and buy the ticket from, uh, from there, which at least means the club can kind of manage the situation that bit more, um, and make sure that, you know, no money goes, uh, walkies, which has, um, has got to be a good thing thinking as well from like a marketing perspective at the club if they do that and they stop the cash on the gates and someone has to go even if it's your granddad who doesn't have a credit card and he just uses cash and whatever else and they have to go to the kiosk eventually they're going to get figures and statistics in about the type of people that are going and age ranges and whatever else that they might miss out on by just cash in hand um and sort of yes people might pay for an oap ticket or a child's ticket but it's going to give them a really clear sort of measurement of their demographic that's going in and it's going to make things easier for restocking the shop next season or you know different offers that they do it's going to make that that data is going to be so crucial to the marketing side of the club and to joe palmer yeah absolutely absolutely um so I, I kind of made note of a few other little bits and bobs so i'll just kind of whiz through them now and then i guess vic if if there's any of these that you kind of want to come back on in, uh, in then um feel free but just to whiz through the other notes that i made now this is actually something that i'd already le- i mean this meeting went on until nearly one o'clock in the morning let's just make that clear i left at 11 uh because i was up early for work and i, I really needed some sleep half 10 um, and I'd but one of the things that was <laughs> yeah of course, yeah. Um, one of the things that was talked about after I left, so I'm, I'm just going to kind of um, prefix this with an apology if this is not entirely accurate. So as I understand it, there was talk about a scheme whereby you, so you pay a certain sum of money, somewhere between kind of, you know, 1500 2000 pounds, uh, and you get uh, a plaque on your seat with your name on. And um, the kind of the reward for doing this, you know, imminently will be that when, when, as and when the club is promoted to the Premier League, you will get now, I think it's a three year season ticket in the Premier League, uh, kind of for free, really. That's your reward for kind of buying this plaque. So, um, I've seen a few different people that stayed longer than me kind of talk about it in different ways. So the way that Cleggie from the Cop End kind of talks about it is that it's effectively buying your season ticket for the Premier League now. Uh, so you pay for it now. Um, and it means that you're putting the money into the club that will help them get to the Premier League before they get there. Something on those sort of lines. So I've got to admit, I wasn't there when this was talked about, so please take this with a pinch of salt. I don't know how accurate what I'm saying is, but I believe that details about this scheme are going to be coming out pretty soon. So it's worth kind of keeping an eye on the website. I'm sure there'll be a lot of talk about it as and when that kind of becomes common knowledge, really. Yeah, I I heard um, the same the same thing and the same sort of figures from two other people who stayed late. So I'm guessing we're on the right track. We'll have to just wait and see. I didn't hear that it was guaranteed that you were going to get a three year season ticket. I thought it was if we right. go up that season. But again, it's Chinese whispers, isn't it? Oh, once okay. everyone's left the room. Yeah, as I said, and I apologise now if if anything I've said there is inaccurate. It's not deliberate. I'm not trying to mislead anyone. Uh, please don't go on Twitter saying, "Oh, that guy from the Wednesday week's been lying about this, that, and the other." Um, you know, I'm just trying to give you a flavour of something that was talked about when I wasn't there. So please hang on for the official information uh, before you kind of draw any conclusions on that. There was a bit of talk about the Rangers friendly on various different levels, but kind of what I took from it was. Um, 
just how disappointed the club was with the conduct of the Rangers fans this time compared to the last time we played them three or four years ago, whatever it was. Um, there was quite a bit of damage caused to the North Stand. There were quite a few fights. There was some damage yeah. caused to local properties. And the club is kind of totting up the cost of that to send over to... Um, to Rangers, uh, uh, there was quite a bit of talk as well about this this thing about how there were Wednesday fans who were either buying tickets for Rangers fans in the home end, um, or were selling their tickets onto Rangers fans at uh, a profit, which led to the situation of quite a few Rangers fans in the home end, which led to um, a bit of conflict, quite a few people feeling uncomfortable, and and definitely not the atmosphere. I wasn't there on Sunday, but definitely not not the atmosphere of three or four years ago when I was there, which was a, a totally different ball game. Really, you you were there, weren't you on um, on Sunday? I was, yeah. Um, I was quite high up in the south stand, so I was just behind the director's box, um, so I didn't see any trouble in the south stand um but i was aware that you know there were a few people there they've got flags they've got rangers shirts on and i think sometimes do you know what i look at rugby on the telly and i I like to watch a bit of rugby and i do um but they will sit with opposition fans share a beer have a chat and it's just a completely different way of watching sport and it's really good fun like i've been to a couple of rugby games where you are sat with the like opponent and you sat and you chat and you like you say oh have you seen this guy have you seen that and you talk about your season we don't have that in football for some reason i don't know whether it's because in rugby the aggression's on the pitch and you get all that and you don't feel the need to be aggressive in the crowd whether it's just a completely different type of like fan that goes, I'm not sure, but it does happen. So I can understand, um, I can't remember his name. Is it Stansfield, the guy who's now security? Yeah, well, we'll just call, we'll either call him Stan or we'll call him Dave Jones because he's a dead ringer for our <laughs> He was lovely. He came across like a really good guy who's been brought in to do the right thing. Um, And he was saying that the reason that they didn't approach the Rangers fans that were in the South Stand was because they didn't want to cause animosity. Um, They He admitted, you know, that we were completely unprepared due to four years ago. We weren't expecting that sort of atmosphere. We weren't expecting flares. We weren't expecting drinking in the stands. Um, And he said, you know, we didn't, we didn't, like throw people out because we didn't want to cause that scene and I completely get that because the amount of times that you see something in town or after if you're leaving a match and there'll be opposition fans walking out next year and as soon as like the police or the stewards arrive this sort of red mist appears and I can understand him not wanting to do that and to be fair I saw two or three not very many Rangers fans around us and they were all quite like in the 50s in the 60s they were just sat watching the match yes they cheered when they scored but it was a pre-season friendly it wasn't the playoff final so I can completely understand his take on that and why they acted how they did but I also really appreciate the fact that the guy he held his hands up he was completely honest and he said look you know I was told it was easier four years ago I've not been here that long I completely misjudged it and we're, we're sorry and that's what else can they do they can't say anything else other than that apart from let's not play them again at Hillsborough it was it was quite refreshing I, I it's the first time that I I, I I that I've heard the guy talk and I didn't even realize that we got kind of a new stadium manager in uh, but I thought yeah there was a lot of honesty he's obviously got a plan he talked about wanting to bring stewarding back in-house. I think we had um, stewards from the northeast that were kind of shipped in last season. Um, he's talked about big recruitment drive, wanting to train up stewards, then ultimately wanting Sheffield Wednesday to become a club that can kind of hire out their stewards to other places. So if there's a, a gig at the arena, that they'll come to Sheffield Wednesday and say, can we hire your 
um, stewards because they're so well trained, that kind of thing. Um, and doing it all in conjunction with like a big training course at the uh, at the college or the university. I can't remember what he said. Yeah. Uh, but I thought I thought that was really good, really promising. And he also mentioned about this right this golden date, Monday the seventh of August, which is when we'll find out what our capacity for this season is going to be. So it was thirty three thousand something, wasn't it? Last yeah, and interestingly, he said, it as it stands now, it's still the same. Because yeah. I've read so many reports saying that it's gone down to like 22, 28 or whatever. But he said, as it stands now, it's still the same as it was last season. And there was something about fireproofing as well, wasn't there? One of the big things from SAG was uh, Safety Advisory Group was something about fireproofing the stands. Um, and he said he's doing that one by one. Uh, so he's hoping that there shouldn't be an issue, but... With it being the safety advisory group, there probably will be. So who knows? Three other things that I made a note of, um, and I think by this point I was getting quite tired, so I was just jotting down the stuff that I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. So um, there was a, a th- the first time I think that since I've been going to this the steering group that there was talk about actual football. It's normally talk about behind the scenes stuff, and that's what it was set up for really. But there was a bit of discussion about actual on the pitch stuff. Um, Mr. Chancery acknowledged the need for defenders. Um, he said that he does realise that that's a priority. So I thought that was quite interesting. Interesting. Um, there was also talk about the prestigious pre-season friendly, which unfortunately never happened, is not going to happen. Um, I know there's been a few kind of rumours knocking around that maybe that, that weekend of the international break in September, there might be something happening. There won't be. Forget about that. They approached Barcelona. They approached Real Madrid. It looked very promising with, well, it looked quite promising with both by the sounds of it. But unfortunately, because of the fact that our season starts a week earlier, uh, it meant that it couldn't happen. That I think both were willing to play a game that would actually have fallen on the same day that we play Preston our first game of the season yep. so obviously that, that can't happen so that went out the window um, and the only other thing that I made a note of was the fact that um, there uh, has been an increase in the number of season tickets that we've sold it's broken 20,000 um, quite strangely no one was willing to tell us exactly how many it was which I thought was a little bit odd but there we go <laughs> um, but uh, there was a figure of the fact that there's just over 3,000 new season tickets being sold this season which um i thought was was quite a good start as well so that's, that's kind of everything that i made a note of have you got anything else that kind of jumped out to you um there were quite there were a few bits actually i thought the the biggest like coup for the night if you like was um because there was let's be honest it was a lot of moaning it was a lot of moaning directed at a chairman that's come in and said i have put 150 million pounds into this club i've lost money i haven't taken a penny out and i want to build this for my son and that was his exact quote was this is for my son i want to make it into a whole perfect business ready to pass on to my son and i think that's great um so for the amount of animosity and moaning that there was i thought a lot of it was really 99% of it was really really unjust and really really uncalled for. I think Mr. Chancery really held his own with that. Um, he he mentioned a few times that if we want him to come in and do business, he will do business, but we won't like him. And I think that was really, it kind of, once he put that sort of spin on it, he thought back to the chairman that we've had before. And you think, yeah, actually, yeah, I'd, ra- I'd rather it be like it is now. <laughs> you know, um, he, he mentioned a few times that he can't do right for doing wrong. Um, if he says... We're going to sign a defender. People kick off and say, we don't need a defender. We need a midfielder. If he says we'll sign a midfielder, people say we need a defender. And he he can't really get the right sort of balance on things. And I think that came across again when he mentioned about the shirt press release, when he said, you know, there's no point in saying things because you're going to find out anyway. 
and whatever we say, people will get annoyed either way. So there's no point in causing a negative impact um, or damage to the club, as he said, which he said, you know, don't take all my words literally. Um, but I think that was quite that was quite true, really. When you think about it, even in our group of, say, six on the podcast chat that we have during the week when we talk about things that are going to come up, normally one of us, Fudge, has a differing opinion to the rest. So I completely, <laughs> I completely understand why he's trying to be a little bit more coy about things. And he's trying to say, look, you know, I, I've put this money in. If you don't want me to do it like that, if you want me to make a profit, and he said it's very, very easy to make a profit in the championship. If I want to do that, I can. And I think one thing that he did say that I, I found quite, it really hit home with me was when he said, you know, I could quite easily come in and save the club and sell it on for a profit to a businessman and you'd all clap me away. He says, but then when the businessman comes in, you moan at him for not doing enough. And it's, it's very, very true. You know, Mr. Mandarich is held in very high regard and I, I'll I'll always love him for what he did for our club. But it's very true. He sold the club on, he made a profit and he sold it on to someone who he promised he would. He promised he'd sell it to a businessman. We've now got that businessman who's putting in £150 million in two years, just over two years. And a lot of the room wanted to moan at him. Um, so I think that really came across that he feels a little bit almost disheartened with it. And I don't... I really hope that the fans listen to that and turn it around and think about the good that he has done and what he's achieved. And, you know, he's been here for less than three years and in two of those years, we've almost got to the Premier League. And who could have said that five, six years ago? Um, And I don't want to be a happy clapper about it all because I'm not. And I think, you know, there are some things that still aren't right. But from that perspective, I think, you know, we do need to take a step back and go, wow, yeah, this is Sheffield Wednesday that I supported in 2004 and it, or 2007. And it was awful. You know, it, it's different now. Um, I think it was quite interesting when he said about, uh, yeah, sorry, one of the good things that came out of it was when the chap from the New York Owls was there and they'd mentioned about something about shirts being given to overseas memberships or something like that. I think there was a bit of a, don't mention this outside the room with regards to some bits of that. Um, but he said something about they were looking into an overseas membership scheme. Um, and the guy from the New York House picked up on that and just mentioned, like, obviously, we're a big group. There's 50 of us go. We've got the iFollow thing now, which is brilliant, which they said we've signed in for a year's deal with uh, just as a trial, which is great. Um, and they are going to get commentary on it as well, which is even better because apparently it's just silent. Um, but Joe Palmer was genuinely keen to speak to the New York Owls and offered to swap details. And he said that they'd do, they'd have a lot of chats and a lot of like discussions about how they work this. And I think that's a really, really positive move because those guys are important. And we know because we meet them a lot when they come over to the games and, you know, they're keeping the name alive over in America. And there are, there are Spanish owls, there are Chinese owls, there are owls all over the place, really. And if we can reach out as a club and do that, and I'm pretty sure Thailand is probably a big, a big project um, that Mr. Chanceri wants to reach out to and make us big. But when you look at football, especially in the Middle East and Asia, there's so much money being banded about and it's all about getting the big names over there now. When you look at, you know, look at like the Lampard situation like a year or so ago and it's, are you talking phenomenal amounts of money? We can easily get a piece of that pie. We can easily be a name that people remember again. And I think the club seem quite keen to do that. And that can only mean good things, you know. What happens if suddenly the Brazilian Owls all become members and one of them's got a kid who could easily be the next old school Ronaldo? 
and actually comes to us instead because he's a Wednesday fan. You never know. So I think that that was a really, really positive thing. And I think Joe Palmer, I was watching him and he made immediately made notes on that and immediately said, I'm going to swap details with you to that guy. So I think that could be a really positive thing to come out of that. And it also means if we're ever on holiday, we'll probably have some people to watch the match with and watch it live. Great. Absolutely. Um, just, I've got to say this because he'll um, he'll shoot me if I don't. That that guy uh, was uh, was James, who is a regular listener to the uh, the podcast. Sorry, so, James, um, I didn't know we, you know. <laughs> hi, hi to him. Um, one of the things that this might have been after you um, after you gone actually, but um, one of the things that the chairman said is that if anyone wants to criticise something that he's done or mm. question something that he's done or what the club's done, um, he said, you know, ring me, ring the club, talk to me, send me an email, send me a letter. I respond to every letter that, that I that I get. Um, he kind of almost made a, an appeal for people not to slag off the club on social media, uh, mm. which I know is, is kind of, um, you know, almost asking for the impossible, but actually fair in terms of the fact that, you know, why why would a fan want to do something that damages the club but then he made a really passionate appeal which is that you know if you if you want to ring me up and shout at me over the phone then do it but don't start contacting members of my family and sending them messages about what's happening at the uh, at the club and i think this is you know we we, we know that his son uh, one of them particularly is very active on social media and it sounds like you know gets quite a lot of hassle from fans about things that he's dad's doing and you know he 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 seemed genuinely upset about that um mm. and so just to kind of repeat that appeal really which is you know by the sounds of it he's really happy for you to just ring the club talk to him if you want to have a go if you want to kick off go for it um but you know it's kind of common sense but it, it's not it's not appropriate to be sending messages to members of his family kind of complaining about signings being made or not being made or asking for information about stuff like that yeah, he also so stressed the was, same um, with was, um, players' it. families as well. He did. He said afterwards, didn't he? He was like, you know, he said, at the end of the day, I want to build this club for my sons. He said, and my sons are going to run this club. Do not approach my family. Do not upset my family. He was like, when they're in charge, I'm sure they'll be happy for you to ring them. But for now, leave them alone. And I must admit, as we left, his um, his son, is it At, that's got the YouTube channel? He was sat in reception and I thought, you know what, you look at him, he's a little kid. Like, why are people sending him messages? Like, grown men and women sending this kid messages. And he was, he could have been my child. Like, he was so young and so cute. And he was just sat there playing on, like, his Nintendo or whatever, waiting for his dad to finish work. And I thought, actually, yeah, that's that's the sort of people, you know, these big burly blokes on Twitter and whatever or YouTube leaving nasty comments. You're saying it to a child, like like a 10-year-old child, like, get over yourself. But he did stress as well, you know, the fact, I know <laughs> I know from the last podcast when we approached Nicky Weaver when he was out with his family, but he was more than happy to do it. But he did say, like, please, you know, think about the players as well, the human beings. They, yes, they earn a lot of money. Yes, they play for your club, but it doesn't give you the right to abuse them or their families either. And I think that's spot on. Um, when you look at the abuse that Fernando Forestieri's wife gets on Twitter, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. And she's the yeah. wife and mother of his child. You know, it's it's completely separate. If if everyone who like hates my fiancé at work had a go at me, I'd be going mad. And you only have to times that by like 100,000. And that's what they're getting every day. So just leave it out. Like just... Yes, they're earning a lot of money and they're living a lifestyle that we could only dream for. But at the same time, that they're, they're still a human being. They were still born the same way that we were born. They still eat the same way we ate. You know, like just think about it like that. 
Absolutely. Um, so we said we were going to do 20 minutes. We've done nearly 40 minutes. So um, I guess it's a good time for us to wrap it up. I would mention there were quite a few other little bits and bobs that were uh, that were talked about. My best advice, if you want to catch up with everything that was said at the steering group, if you go on Twitter, look up a guy called Malcolm Fox. If you don't already follow him, he's really good at uh, tweeting details of everything that was said. Um, so big up to Malcolm for, uh, for that. Um, and he is worth looking up on Twitter if you want to find out about about some of the stuff well, that was talked about that we've not had a chance to talk about tonight. Um, you you can't though, can you? Because I, th- he I think has he blocked, blocked you. Me. So uh, <laughs> there we go. Um, any, anyone that wants to uh, catch up with your stuff on Twitter, just remind us. Uh, yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, obviously we didn't do any live tweeting or whatever because you're not allowed, and we respect that. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, where you can get most ramblings, especially now the season starts, it's Victoria one eight six seven. Um, or you can email me vic at the uk, but probably don't do it until next Saturday when James has had a chance to figure out how to get on my phone. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. And um, yeah, if you want to catch me on Twitter at James Marriott, uh, you can drop me an email if you want, james at the wednesdayweek.co.uk. Um, if you want to find out more about the uh, podcast, listen to some back episodes, they're all on our website, the wednesdayweek.co.uk, or look us up on social media. Uh, right, that'll wrap us up for tonight. We will be back, well, every week during the season with our normal ramblings. It won't quite be as kind of sophisticated as this. I think it's been quite nice, just the two of us. <laughs> it's it's better. Been- it's just us, rehearsal. isn't it? Rehearsal for married life. At least we know that we'll get Aww. on fine. Um, so uh, we'll we'll speak to you again uh, next time on our um, normal podcast. But thank you very much for listening. See you later. Bye. It's the 90th minute. You've got all your mates round. You've got your McNugget chair boxes coming down the left wing, ready to go. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points, back of the net. Lubosh! Automate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for more information. See you later! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.